0: couple more messages in the book of Philippians. I actually want to pick it up beginning in verse 20 of chapter 3 and rolling down through verse 7 of chapter 4 tonight. We're going to talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding. And Paul tonight is encouraging the Philippians with five exhortations that will enable them and us to receive the promise of God's peace God's peace is like any other gift from God. It's something that he offers to us, but it must be received. It's like the gift of salvation. It is a free gift through our Lord Jesus Christ, but it's got to be unwrapped. It's got to be received. It's got to be taken to to ourselves. It's got to be applied to our own life. And the same thing is true with God's peace. God wants his people to live in peace and to experience a peace that passes all understanding. And for a moment before we get into what are the exhortations that enables us to receive that peace and experience that peace, let's be reminded about what the peace of God is. Several things. First of all, we could say it's a quietness of our heart, a tranquility of our heart. It is that inner sense of well-being that even though there might be outward circumstances and all of that going on around me, that, that there's that inner sense of well-being, that peace. But I really like the language here, that if you get into the original language, the word peace is the opposite from the word anxiety or anxious that is in verse 6. Do not be anxious. That word literally speaks about being pulled apart and pulled in all different directions. And doesn't that describe many of us and, and much of the world today. We live in a world where people are being literally like pulled apart in all these different directions and in all these different ways, and they don't know how to deal with life and navigate life and handle life because they feel like this part's going here and this part's going here. So why is peace and, and, and the, the understanding of God's peace, peace such a picturesque word that helps us to understand the contrast of anxiety? Because peace literally means to bring everything to God and everything in our life under God. It, 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 it's a God-centered life. It's a life that no part of our life is out there hanging that's not being brought to God or under God. And we're going to see in all of Paul's exhortations, that's exactly where he keeps bringing the Philippians back to. Bring it to God. Bring it under God. Surrender it to God. Cast it to God. You know, uh, Don't leave that part of our life out there. Bring it all under God's authority and and God's power and God's presence and bring it all there. And that way then we have a very centered life. We don't feel like we're being pulled in all these different directions because basically everything is flowing out of our oneness with God, our center with God, and, and therefore... When we let God then direct us, we don't feel like we're being pulled apart by all these different forces and people and movements and everything. We're only following one shepherd and his voice alone, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And That's how we can experience peace, and that's why this peace, verse 7 of Philippians 4, surpasses all understanding, because when you and I live with that kind of peace, even some other Christians in the world, they don't understand that. How how can your life maybe at, at the moment be in such turmoil? Or how can you be going through such a trial or such a difficulty or such an obstacle in your life? And, and yet you seem to be at peace. Well, the answer is because I've brought that area of my life under God. I'm trusting Him in that area. I've brought it to God. I, I'm, I'm surrendering that and I, I'm submitting it to the Lord. And that's what real peace looks like. So Paul, though, in leading up to verse 7, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 3, again, shares with the Philippians five exhortations that enable us to receive God's gift of peace. And I'm going to give them to you quickly because I know some of you take notes and whatever. And then we're going to go back and just touch on each of those tonight. And then I told Nicole... It's the night before Thanksgiving and we just ended our worship series and I'm not not ready to quit worshiping so we're going to end with worship tonight instead of with the word tonight. But let me give them to you real quickly. First of all, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3, hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1, stand in the Lord. Verse 2 of chapter 4, agree in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord in the Lord. And finally at the end of verse 6 of chapter 4, tell it to the Lord. These are the five exhortations that helps us to receive the peace of God. And did you notice something there as we were going down through that passage? That many times Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is very intentional about adding the phrase in the Lord. Stand in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. He's reminding all of us, again, that's got to be the environment that we exist in and that we live in. Because we cannot experience God's peace or any of these things apart from staying connected and in fellowship and in intimacy with the Lord. That's why Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected to me. Without me, you can't do this. That's why over and over again he told his followers, remain in me, abide in me maintain that close connection don't try to do life apart from me or without me that's when we get into trouble and that's why it's not enough that we have a relationship with God and that we know him in a personal way we've got to maintain that close connection and contact with him every day you see and so let's go back up to verse 20 and 21 for a moment And let's look at hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there that Paul starts out in verse 20 by saying, our citizenship is in heaven. Yes, we are a citizen of some country on earth, but we are dual citizens always as Christians because we're not only citizens of some earthly country, we're also, through the Lord Jesus Christ, citizens of heaven. And Paul goes on to say, and because we are citizens of heaven and our names are written in the book of life, which he mentions later in chapter 4, he says, guess what? we're looking and hoping for the return of our Lord one day. And we live in light of that hope every day because we understand then that this life is not all that there is, that we, as the Bible says, are just pilgrims and we're just strangers and we're just passing through. And this earthly life is so short compared to the eternity that awaits us. And no matter what's going on, the best is always yet to come for Christians. We're looking for him to come and we're awaiting him, Paul says. It means we're literally anticipating his return and and, and we're hoping in that return, knowing that he's going to right all the wrongs and he's going to vindicate his followers and obviously, more importantly than anything, vindicate himself before the eyes of the watching world. And then Paul goes on to say, oh, and by the way, here's something that should whet our appetite for the return of the Lord. When he comes, he's going to transform these earthly bodies into the likeness of his glorious body, an eternal glorified body that's going to be able to exist forever and ever. And as the book of Revelation says, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. All of that is the former way of living. And God gives us these unbelievable bodies to live in throughout eternity. And Paul says that's one of the prospects of looking and hoping for the return of the Lord. But then notice how he ends verse 20. He also reminds us, How's Jesus gonna do that? Because he has the power, because he is able to subject all things to himself. Literally, Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us, Jesus Christ can arrange everything underneath him because he occupies the highest place in the universe. Remember what Paul said earlier in Philippians chapter 2, because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross, that God the Father highly exalted him, gave him a name above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Nothing in the universe outranks Jesus. And therefore, he's saying, if nothing outranks Jesus, that should be the hope that we live in every day. Not just a hope that one day he's going to return as he promised he would return, as he said in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. That's the hope we live in. But until that, we also recognize that one day, because everything is underneath Jesus, and he outranks everything in the universe, that that also applies to my everyday life today. And that there's nothing you and I will ever face that is more powerful or greater or bigger than Jesus. Jesus can handle it. And if you and I keep our hope in Jesus, the one who outranks everything in the universe, and we trust in him, and we rely in him, and we depend upon him, then we will have everything that we need to navigate even the most difficult of circumstances because, again, he is able. He is able. Chapter 3, verse 21. So, Paul says, How do we receive the gift of God's peace? Live every day in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just for his return, but also for what he can do and and help me with right now. Because he occupies the highest place of the universe. Everything is underneath him. So nothing I ever come in contact with, no person I ever come in contact with is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. He can help us with anything and everything. Then chapter 4. Because then he says, so then. You see, the chapter and verse divisions of our English Bible were not in the original text. And I'm not saying they're bad. They actually do help us sort of organize our English Bible. But a lot of times we sort of stop at the end of one chapter and, 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 and fail to realize that the author's thought process didn't stop at the end of that chapter. It just kept on going. And so, notice the first two words of chapter four. So then, which points back to what he just said. In other words, he's saying, we need to live in light of eternity and live in the light of Jesus' coming and of things being so different and of our lives being so different. And, and that the best is, we need to live in light of that every day. And then he says, my brothers and sisters, dear friends, whom I long to see, my joy and crown stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. The first way to receive God's gift of peace is to hope in the Lord. The second way is to stand in the Lord. What's it mean to stand in the Lord? Well, it means to persevere. It means to endure. It means to prevail. And the only way you and I persevere in this life and endure with all the obstacles and challenges and trials and difficulties and everything that you and I are going to deal with in life, the only way we persevere is in the Lord. If we try to prevail in our own strength, in our own wisdom, we're not going to make it. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, let us run this race of life with endurance. How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The only way we persevere is in the Lord. And when you and I are running every day and we're saying, Lord, Jesus, I need you today. I cannot, I cannot make it through this day well without you, Lord. The only way I can stand at the end of the day and have met all the challenges and obstacles and, and hurdle all those you know, hurdles and everything is in you, God. So so I'm going to stand in you at the end of the day and I'm going to persevere through you. That's that's how we do it. Because if we try to persevere and endure and prevail on our own, we're not going to have any peace. (laughs) We're just not. Because we don't have within us as human beings the ability to stand on our own. It's only when we stand in the Lord do we have the ability... And again, the crazy thing is, when we're willing to stand in the Lord, we may be going through something very horrific, something really hard, something really difficult, and yet God, because we're standing in the Lord, will also give us the gift of his peace. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that other people would say, how can you have such peace? Because I'm standing in the Lord. And I'm hoping in the Lord. And I'm bringing everything that I'm dealing with under the authority of my Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting Him. That's how I can have such peace. Because I know that there's nothing bigger than Him, nothing greater than Him, nothing outside of Him, nothing beyond Him. It can all be brought under Him, you see. By the way, before we move on to the third point, do you notice something in verse 1? Something we talk a lot about here at the Oasis because I want our church to be more than just a place where we as believers come and we just sort of hang out, you know, once or twice a week with each other and then we go our separate ways, but where we encourage one another, at least with a few others in this church, to build some very cherished and treasured relationships and friendships. And do you notice the language that Paul's... Notice how he talks about the Philippians. Notice what he says. First of all, brothers and sisters, you're my family my spiritual family. Then he says, dear friends, and he uses that phrase twice, once sort of at the beginning and then once at the very end. My dear friends, it means you're beloved to me. I love you. I have a great affection for you, Paul says. And then notice what else he says in the middle of verse one. You are my joy and crown. Wow. You know what he's saying there? Again, in light of eternity, because that's the context, what he's just talked about, Jesus is coming. He's going to transform these bodies into glorious bodies. Eternity is waiting. When Jesus comes, it's all going to change. The reason Paul then says, you're my joy and crown, is he says when we get to eternity, you know one of the great joys that we're going to have is looking back on our life together as Christians and just recounting all the things that God did in us and through us as we, as we minister together here on this earth. That's one of the reasons he says, you're my joy. Because I gain joy from what I see happening in you and in your church at Philippi and how God has used me in your life and how God has used you in my life and how we were able to accomplish things for God together. That brings great joy to Paul. And then he says, you're my crown. Why does he say that? Because he says, you know what? I mean, obviously... Paul's reward, ultimately, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our greatest reward throughout eternity. But Paul also looks at his fellow Christians and says, guess what, you're my reward too. And remember, the crown that he's talking about there is that Stephanos crown. It was a a, a wreath of of like garland that was placed around the head of the the one who won the race. And what he's also saying is, I want to be surrounded by you all when we get to eternity. I want to continue to serve the Lord in his kingdom forever with you all. I want you to be what, who surrounds me. I want you to be my crown. What an amazing statement. I, 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 I grieve over so many Christians today who either don't want to really be part of the church or engage in the church or who live their whole Christian life and they never develop even a few really close, intimate, good friendships and relationships with other Christians that they could stand there and literally look another Christian in the eye and say, you're my dear friend and you are my joy and crown like Paul did. But we need to, because if we don't, we're missing out on something that just is a tremendous joy because here also is something else that Paul's saying and yet he didn't say it directly. Yes, ultimately we stand in the Lord, But the Lord didn't put us with certain people not to have them stand with us too. Because the Lord's working in those people too so that though we always are never standing alone because the Lord is with us, God understands it's nice to be able to look to one side or the other and know that there's another human being that's standing there with us too. And that's what he's tying in here in verse one. Hope in the Lord, stand in the Lord. Then notice verse 2. Agree in the Lord. And he's appealing to two gals in the church. Two great gals. Two gals who literally were on the battlefield of ministry and who ministered with Paul. Notice what he says. He says in verse 3, these two gals struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement. Their names are in the book of life. They're were they awesome saints of God. They're awesome servants of God. But guess what? Something has come between the two of them. And guess what? The whole church knows it. (laughs) That they're not getting along or they're not speaking anymore. And Paul's heart is, it gals. You're being robbed of the peace that passes understanding when you are not allowing yourself to be reconciled to a brother or sister in Christ or anyone in your life. Because let's face it, if there's certain relationships that God wants us to be at peace with, and I realize it's not always on all of us. The Bible says, as much as possible, live at peace. Relationships are always a two-way street. So I can be doing everything that I can. You can be doing everything you can in certain relationships. If the other person is not willing, then there's nothing we can do about it. God doesn't hold us responsible for that. But God does say this. He says, if you think that there is any kind of window of, of compromise, of accommodation, of, of coming together, of a meeting of the minds, if they're willing to listen to you as much as they want you to listen to them, then he says, make that right. Because we only have two choices. We either make those relationships right and reconcile them, or else we feel like the Lord is leading us to move on but there's got to be peace at some point because God calls us to peace. He doesn't call us to a life of strife and fighting and quarreling and bickering all the time, and especially in the church. And that's why Paul's appealing because he's saying, you realize, you gals, you're affecting the whole church whether you realize. You may think it's just a quarrel between the two of you, but because you two are part of the body, then that body is suffering because you two are out of joint with each other. Any more than we could say, well, it's just one part of my body. Yeah, but one part of your body, if it's not feeling well, guess what? It affects the whole body. And so that's why Paul is saying, gals, you want to receive God's gift of peace? Jesus even said this. Remember he emphasized the fact, he said in the Gospels to his followers, he said, if you come to the house of God and you're getting ready to offer a gift to the Lord, and you know that you and some other brother or sister in Christ have an issue, remember what his advice is and counsel? First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come to the house of God and offer your gift. Why? Because that lack of peace affects the entire body, whether we realize it or not. Because why? Because we're not just a physical body. We are a spiritual body. We are the body of Christ. And he's saying we can't go through life just not seeking to be reconciled in certain ways or at least then move on, but come to a place where you can coexist or be at peace and move on. Don't continue to live in this constant turmoil. He said, because it not only affects each of our hearts individually, it will affect the body of, that, that's why I notice in verse 3, he even appeals to other people in the church. He says, and he doesn't mention someone by name, but he says in verse 3, I also say to the true companion, help them. Be a mediator. You know, come together, the three of you, and sit down over a cup of coffee and see if there can't be again some kind of accommodation or compromise between these two gals because everybody knows who they are. Everybody knows how great they are. They, again, they have served on the front lines of the battle for the Lord Jesus Christ. But something's happened between the two of them. And they're not speaking anymore. They're not friends anymore. Needs to happen in order for us to receive peace. Then verse 4. We've talked a lot about joy in the book of Philippians and notice again, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Remember, Paul's not saying I can rejoice in my circumstances. He doesn't, because a lot of times our circumstances don't bring us joy. They're, they're, but Paul says, But we can always find joy in the Lord. In fact, it's the only place that we can really find true joy. It's the only place of lasting joy, enduring joy, and true joy is in the Lord. And so many people today, even Christians, are trying to find joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment outside of the Lord. Paul says no. But you and I can wake up every day so filled with joy. This... This sense of just unbelievable bubbling up. Ah. Because we're living in the environment of the Lord. And we realize who He is and how good and how gracious He is and how compassionate and merciful and forgiving and all the things that we have to. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And pretty soon, when you begin to count your blessings and live that way, in the Lord, you begin to realize how rich we are, not how much we lack. Remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack what? Nothing. Nothing. And so he says, let's always find our joy in the Lord because that's the only place we can really find it and that's the only way, place we can really maintain it. When we start going outside of the Lord to find joy, we'll never find it. All that the world offers, all that Satan offers, all that other people offer apart from God... They'll never find true joy until they come and bring it under the Lord and say, Lord, you're my joy. You're my delight. You're my treasure. Just as we've sung about tonight. One final one. And I love this. And many of you, you're 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 prayer warriors. You inspire me to pray. But again, then notice what he says. Oh, by the way, at the end of, or in verse 5, I don't want to miss this, even though I didn't highlight this. Notice he also says, Let everyone see your gentleness. The word gentle just means to be reasonable, to be accommodating, to, to be able to get, a, for other people to get along with us. And again, wow, we need that today. How many people are unreasonable and hard to get along with no matter what? And, and, will never budge at all. It's their way or the highway. God says that is no way to experience peace. Because if you live that way, you're always going to be in conflict with other people. You're always going to be butting heads with others because it's got to be your way. There's no give to you. God says, not my servants. Be reasonable. When you can give, give. In fact, My servants probably are going to give more than they take, but I'd rather it be that way. Because you're going to find in your relationships there's a lot more peace than when you're always trying to take, you see. And then he says this, and we've sung about it tonight. I thought about this on a couple of songs we sang. The Lord is near. And when Paul says that, he's saying, and God's always accessible. God's always right there in time and space. God's never far away. He might seem far away. He might feel far away, but he's never far away. He's a prayer away, which is what he's going to talk about in just a moment. The Lord is always near us. He's always right there. He's always paying careful attention to us. We just need to be more aware that he is near which is why then he goes on to say in the context, so don't be anxious. Don't let life pull you apart in a thousand different directions about anything. Instead, in every situation of life, through prayer, petition, and this is especially cool tonight, with thanksgiving. In other words, don't just come to God with what you want God to do for you. Come to God with thankful hearts and and blessing and, and a heart of worship. Tell your requests to God. Talk it out with God. That's the way we can experience God's peace. Talk it out with God. Hope in the Lord, stand in the Lord, agree in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, and talk it out with the Lord. Those are the five exhortations that Paul gives the Philippians in order for them and us to be able to really receive the gift of God's peace. By the way, notice he says, tell your request to God. It's not even just talking it out with God and processing something with God. It's literally coming to God and asking him, God, this is what I want you to do in this situation, or this is what I want you to do for me. The reason why that's important is, at least I've found in my own life, there were many times in my Christian life where I wanted God to do something about the situation, but I hadn't even thought through it enough, or considered it enough, or reasoned through it enough to be able to come up with what I really want God to do in that situation, to be able to articulate it to him when I pray. It's like, I want God to change it, but I don't really know, God, what what I want you to do. Well, that's not a request. And remember what Jesus said. We have not because we what? Ask not. See, in a sense, it, it does take some stuffings and some effort to pray. Because sometimes before I even go into praying to God, I need to think through okay, before I go to the Lord, what do I really want him to do for me? If, if, if his throne room is open and he's inviting me in to be able to talk to the God of the universe in whom is over everything, everything's underneath him, then what do I, not, what do I want to ask him for? I mean, let's face it. If we were given the opportunity today to go into the office of the most powerful king or president or prime minister or whoever that was in the world, who could maybe do something for our situation, whatever it was, on a human level. Will we not spend a little bit of time going, I'm going to write this down. This is, when I get in there, I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to fumble over. My, I'm going to write down, this is exactly when I get in there before them, this is what I want to say. God appreciates that when we put that kind of effort into thinking through our prayers so that when we come, we literally can tell our request. God, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do, you see. But let me take it a step further because I don't want to discourage anybody here tonight who's also been in the same situation that other passages talk about. And that is, you and I also find ourselves as Christians, sometimes in situations, and we don't know what to ask God for. We can't articulate it. We can't describe the pain or whatever that we're going through. And we don't know what to pray for. Then the Bible says, guess what? God's even got provision for that because the Holy Spirit who lives within us takes all of those groanings and all of that hurt and all of that pain and and what we really don't know what we want God to do for us. And he takes all of that and he presents it to the Lord and prays for us. How amazing is God? God says, you have the responsibility to do this up to a point, but I realize that some things are beyond you as a human being, even my children. So I'm giving you the provision of the Holy Spirit of God so that he can intercede on your behalf. And we know the Bible teaches in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus Christ himself intercedes and is on his knees for us as well and is praying for us each and every day. So hope in the Lord, stand in the Lord, agree in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, and talk it out with the Lord. And then in verse 7, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. By the way, that word guard is a great translation because in the original language, it's a military word. It literally means to put a garrison around your heart and mind. In other words, it's not just removing the anxiety, removing the worry, removing the, the care and the stress and the angst and all of that that's gripping your hearts and minds right now. No, it begins to build up sort of a preventative barrier so that anxiety and worry and all of that doesn't flood in as like it used to. It, it literally puts up a wall, a protective wall around our heart to protect it from the anxiety and the stress and the panic attacks and the worry and all of that that we see happening today. And you know my own testimony as your pastor. You know for many years I struggled with that very thing and it was only through my own spiritual growth that God grew me out of that and I can experience the peace of God. But just like any of us that have those sort of easily besetting sins that, that you know sort of characterize our life, I have to give that over to the Lord every day or else I could go right back to that lifestyle of worrying and fretting and being anxious rather than talking it out with the Lord and letting His peace invade my heart and mind and just giving it to Him and bringing it under Him and experiencing His peace. Folks, if I could leave you with anything tonight before we enter into worship, it's this. God so wants his children to be at peace. And when you think about it, think about how we are as parents, as moms, as dads, as grandparents, as friends, as just human beings. When we see another human being who's just so uptight all the time and... and, their, their lives are filled with worry and anxiety and stress and all of this. We just sort of want to take it off of them and go, relax and rest. And I wish you didn't have that. You know, we can imagine how much more God feels that way about his own children. He's like, I'm your heavenly father. I love you more than you would ever know. I, I don't want to see you have to live that way because you don't have to live that way. Bring it to me. Bring it under me. Hope in me. Rejoice in me. Talk it out with me so that you can experience the peace that passes all understanding. Could we stand? I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend some time worshiping our great Lord because let's face it, without Him, There's no peace. (laughs) There's no joy. There's no love without the Lord. It all comes from Him. Every good and every perfect gift that you and I enjoy as human beings in this life comes from our Heavenly Father. So God, we just want to come to you tonight and we just want to pause for a moment in our busy lives. And just say thank you God thank you for loving us so much thank you for giving us so much and it's not just the stuff that you give us you gave us your very self you sacrificed everything you put it all on the on the cross for us you opened wide your arms of love and said I love you God, I pray that we would love you back, that we would embrace you as much as you're embracing us right now. And that, God, whatever we're going through right now, whatever we're dealing with, God, that we've been reminded just to bring it under you. Because, God, no matter what we're going through in life, we can experience the gift of your peace, a peace that passes all understanding. So God, tonight, we're not even going to try to figure it out because the Bible says we can. not It's beyond our understanding. But what we can do is we can accept it. We can receive it. We can apply it to our life. And I pray that every one of us in this room tonight would leave here with your peace just gripping our hearts and minds, guarding our hearts and minds, and going with us out that door into our homes and into our lives for the rest of this week and into the next week. God, would you put a blanket of your peace? Would you wrap us up in that peace? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.